Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. It's Nate and myself in the booth today. Special assist from Dan, of course. Obviously. Yeah. As always. Yeah. As always. Making it run. Yep. Uh, so, Nate, what what have you done in your life where you've taken a long break and then you've tried to do something again? Like, has there been mm. anything that you've taken like a, a, a 10 or 5 year or 15 year break on? Yeah, I, well, first of all, I mean, if you if you try getting on a bike and you haven't been on a bike in a while, that that's, I mean, I know that's the cliche, but that that is a harder thing than you realize. <laughs> you but, get some soreness. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would say, and I'm trying to think of the last time I've done it, but the best example of that is probably like downhill skiing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I can't remember. I, there was a long period of time that passed, and then I did it again, and... Uh yeah you feel oh water skiing too yeah for sure like oh, a, dude, like water skiing where all of a sudden you're like sure yeah let's uh, I can do that you know and then you get out there and you're like oh boy this all hurts yeah, yeah exactly yeah I had a uh, because you I'd, you played soccer I I played soccer legit so, soccer yeah so my my son you know is now in you I think it's you nine and ten so it's actually technically you ten then because they had to combine the teams they didn't quite have enough players and he's playing over at Kiva. So it's uh indoor soccer, legit field. He's finally on the big field and one of the teams didn't show up. And so Sawyer's um, soccer team then played and they scrimmaged the parents. And, and for those that don't know, when you play like, you know, little kid soccer, you just, you let the kids win a little bit and they score. Well, yesterday I had to play soccer against my son's team. So that was, that was interesting. I'm, I'm quite sore today. Um, was it an hour long? Dude, it's 50 minutes, 40. I got like the coach didn't even say, let's, let's do a water break. She's like, well, if you need one, it's fine. But we kept the game going the whole entire time. So it was 49 minutes. Line changes. It's like a hockey game, Danny. We had no (laughs) halftime. There was no (laughs) halftime. There was no nothing. We just played for 49 minutes. I ran around. Wow. And so I've played soccer before. So I was kind of I think the expectation was that I was supposed to do more than some of these other parents that didn't like, obviously oh. never played soccer before. Oh. And so, yeah. Yeah. That's a bad spot you're in too, because like you're thinking to yourself like, well, when, when am I ever going to have to prove that I've played soccer? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh boy, now we're actually like doing this. Well, it was interesting because I did, I did a big workout prior to that. Cause I didn't expect when I showed up at Kiva that I was going to be playing <laughs> 49 minutes straight of soccer. So I was like sore and I even, I grabbed a chair. They had like, you know, high seats there. Sure. And then I grabbed a, a chair. Okay. Uh, like I had to take the chair from, from like the bar area all the way down. And I'm like, Sawyer, I have to sit because I'm tired and whatever. And and then it's like, come on, dad. And I'm like, what are you oh, talking? I was kind of like, yeah. no, no. And then he's like, you got to go play soccer. I'm okay. And Let's MLS game just broke out. Dude. In yeah. I kind of. Kind of laid out two kids too. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, pretty bad about that. It's like Kramer when he when he's taking karate lessons and he's like in like in the little kid class and he's just like dominating and <laughs> hey, I mean they they want you to play. Well, you know I mean, I, w- I turned and you don't see the kids because they're smaller than yeah, you. Right, right, so I turned to like right. run backwards oh, and boy. I just laid a kid out oh. and I said I'm, I'm sorry, you know, and I, I picked him up and I go, okay, it's fine. It's kind of more of a glancing blow. The second one though. Oof, mm. Not good. I I, I kind of I think I knocked his 
I think I knocked some breath out of him. It took him a few minutes to recover. He wasn't crying. He wasn't crying, but I, he was he was feeling it, though. I, he's probably a little sore today, too. Yeah, hey, I mean, once you get on the pitch, right? So we all know the terminology because of uh, Ted Lasso now. So once you're on the pitch, I mean. I'd say it's more because it's Keith and Stan, too, you know. Right. All that soccer right. lingo. I played, but I never used any of it. It's fine. I don't. Well, there's a difference it. between being a soccer player, like primarily like growing up and in high school, and being a soccer fan. True. These are very different things. Uh, the the fan is that's an intense person, and we can speak to that because of Keith and Stan. Oh, they're they're insane. Yeah. They're, yeah. Right. I mean, for all the love that we feel for the Packers, I feel like there's it's, it's it's right there in soccer for a team that's way across right. the pond. Like right. they actually care about right. that. And then they're watching games at crazy times. Right. Which makes I mean, I understand why, because the time changes and so it's on where the game is, you know, more popular than here. So I get that. But at the same time, yeah, it's it's weird because you're having to try to catch a game at like two in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Yeah. Makes no sense. And it makes no sense to us, but we're just like, yeah, it's the same thing as like Thursday night football. Why would you watch a game at Thursday night football? Right. Yeah. Right. Unless you're like, you know, and, and there really usually is no good reason to watch a Thursday night football game anyways. I'm always blown away when they play an NFL game over in London, how, like how well it's attended. They love American football over there. I feel like the Raiders play every time. Yeah. <laughs> And the Jaguars. <laughs> yeah. Raiders, Jaguars. Which makes sense because the Raiders have to fly six hours from Oakland to get to New York. Yeah. And then fly six hours to get to to get to London. I think it should be a punishment. Any team that yeah. any like team below rally. four wins a season has to go over to London the next year. That's the way they relegation. do it. <laughs> the NFL's version of relegation. You have to play half your schedule in London. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. I mean, Punishing. Yeah, I mean, don't be on the bottom of the stack. That's it. Speaking of, Clint, do you remember, or even Nate, do you remember when Wisconsin played in Tokyo against Michigan State? Yeah, that was, football, a, like that was the a while ago. Yeah, that was a really long time ago, but I do remember that. Mm. Um, mm. You know, Totally off subject, but. Yeah, I don't remember what happened in the game. Do you remember? I think they won. I think it was like for the, like to win the Big Ten that year, too. I could be totally off on that, but. Huh. I'll have to that, look at that. This conversation just made me think about that, because it's just, you know, very random game in a random place for college football. Totally anyway. random yeah. place. It's it's not often that, yeah, you don't see a lot of games out there. I mean, you're seeing it more in, in the UK. I, I think that that's a strategy for the NFL. I don't know if we're ever going to see that. Dan, you think? An NFL team domiciled Ugh. in Europe? It's so tough that way, right? Maybe we can move one of the U.S. teams over there. That would be a good transition for the uh, the expat team here at Wachner Condon. That's true. Take it would all be. the fans that follow their team to to England. That's true. Sorry, Mitch. It's going to have to be Detroit. <laughs> 93. 93. November 30th, 1993. Badgers would wound up losing 42-37. Oh, Many still consider that game the most exciting. It says in Rose Bowl history. That can't be right. But no. it says here's why Wisconsin is playing Michigan State in Japan. Interesting. Interesting. Rose Bowl. I don't think that's right. So, but they played in the Rose Bowl in '94. So, isn't that the Rose Bowl season, their first one? Because if they played in '93, the Rose Bowl would have been January '94, right? Nate is looking up fakeopedia.com. <laughs> I don't know. No, seriously, <laughs> it's the LA Times. Uh, yeah, it looks like that's what it is. I don't know. I'm confused. I'm confused. We'll have to have somebody correct. We'll have to have somebody correct it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure somebody remembers. You know, we could do like other podcasts where we fact check ourselves. Separate recording at the end of every podcast. Yeah, no, mm. we'd have no. to redact the entire episode. <laughs> well, we, we'll just we'll pick it up in the next podcast. We'll 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 say okay. Here was what we found out. You know, 
or, you know, Dan will just jump on his fancy laptop over there and find out the answer. Fact checker. Fact checker. He's like the guy in, uh, uh, what's his face, uh, from former ESPN, uh, Dan, whatever his name is. Oh, uh, <laughs> Uh, Who's the guy that fact checks him all the time? Skippy or what is his name? Uh, yes. Um, is that my new nickname, Skippy? No. Who's <laughs> who's the guy? Who's the ESPN? Dan, whatever. He was Keith Olbermann and uh, what Dan was Patrick. Dan Patrick. So Andrew Patrick's guy in yes. there is, yes. what is his name? Like Skippy or what is it? No. What is it? The fact checker. Okay. So Wisconsin won the game 41-20. I don't know what the LA Seriously, Times article what was saying. Okay. And they qualified for the Rose Bowl because of that win. Oh, okay. There all we right. go. So it's all their right. first Rose Bowl since like 60-whatever. Makes way more sense. 31 years. That jet lag has to be brutal, though. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Oh, uh, yeah. No, that, I mean, that'd be, I can only imagine just, again, flying in the NFL. I mean, you, you don't even think about when an East Coast team plays a West Coast team. I mean, just that alone. You know, you're, you're tacking a six-hour flight both ways, you know, on the end of a foot, you know what I mean, and within your football week. That's got to be brutal. It's got to be brutal as that plane flight home Oof. as you're like getting all, you're all beat up from the game <sighs> and you're just Man. feeling it on the flight. Yeah. All right. We're going to have to figure out uh, who Dan Patrick's fact checker is. Cause all I keep coming up with is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Oh, so that's, that's, you know, too, too common of a name. Goes like that sometimes. Right, Danny? It do be like that. It do be like that. Um, so we were going to do this segment with Mitch on yeah. it with us, but it turns out that. Mitch bailed on us. Mitch bailed on us because he doesn't read any books. <laughs> Wait, to be fair, he didn't say that he didn't read any books. Now, right. now, mind you, in the last few years, Mitch has finished his MBA and CFP, and then he read a bunch on um, on stock option planning as well. So, and his two little kids. Yeah, and his two little kids. And he said that he would. Uh, he said that he uh, one of the influential books he would read would be about stock options. So we kind of <laughs> let him. <laughs> Get out of this. So you're welcome, listener, to not have to, you know, hear five minutes on Mitch talking about stock options. (laughs) And how that book's changed his life. Right. I mean, how great is that? So we wanted to mention uh, a few books that we have read that really we found to be influential in our careers um, and just in our own personal lives as well. I think we started with more of a business focus and Mm -hmm. we wanted to look into, you know, taking some business focus and how also it's impacted some of our uh, soft skills and other things like that. So um, I'll go first on one of the books that I found very influential, uh, and that was Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth by Nick Murray. And they've actually done the 20th anniversary edition. So much like me waiting 15 years to play soccer, and it might have been even been longer than that since I'm 45, it probably is is closer to, to uh, 20 plus years. <clears throat> But uh, simple wealth and inevitable wealth uh, is the thesis of the book is really simple. You know, you need to invest heavily in stocks to grow your wealth. And he goes through the different sort of, um, you know, things that people say, uh, you know, against the stock market saying, oh, it always, you know, crashes. It's always in a bubble. It's always, you know, and, and gives all the different reasons why people choose not to invest in the stock market. And he basically says, look, it is simple. This thing is simple, uh, but just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. And so he goes through the different timeframes in history and, and why investing in equities works. And it's written in the level of the client. It's not really written on a financial advisor level. He's written some financial advisor books and gives advice to financial advisors. But he wrote this book specifically for the general client. You can actually get it on his own 
uh, website as well. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful book even today. I know he's updated it with some more current numbers, but uh, that is one of those that I find to be a, a phenomenal resource for people that need to be reminded about why we invest in the stock market. And I'm interested in what he has to say about crypto, but, um, you know, just in equities in general, uh, you know, how successful they've been over time and, uh, you know, simple wealth, inevitable wealth. Yep. He's kind of a legend in the industry. He is. I mean, Nate doesn't love him, but I'm not a big fan. I, I, I like his, in, I respect his intelligence. His, his personality is a little, he's a little, he's a little scratchy, a little scratchy, a little, yeah. a little, not soft and fuzzy. Uh, all right. So my first one, and I'll, I'll follow suit here with um, kind of a more finance based book. Um, because I broke mine up into a couple different categories, but I'll start with my finance, and I'll call it more the recent finance, relatively speaking. So I'm going to go with The Quants by Scott Patterson. So there was a bunch of books written in uh, about 08, 09, not in 08, 09, but a bunch of books written, written on the kind of heels of 08, 09. Um, and that was one of them, and it just kind of illustrated how we got into the position that we were in and then why the crash actually um, happened and, and, and what was the, um, I don't know if it was necessarily the, the quote, the reason, because it was about a dozen different reasons, but, you know, kind of the main reason why it got to that point and a lot of it was quantitative um, trading and analytics uh, that were, I don't know if you'd say they were new at the time. I think you would say that they, they had become more mainstream is probably the better way to say it, or they had become over the, you know, five to 10 years prior to 0809 more mainstream as a way for primarily hedge funds and, and um, kind of, you know, more venture type investments uh, to identify what stocks they felt were undervalued and how the those systems broke essentially uh, because they, they didn't know how to quantify and didn't necessarily even try to quantify into that algorithm, the housing market. And it was interesting when you took something like that's as big and obvious as the housing market, but yet uh, Wall Street doesn't necessarily focus that much on the housing market uh, and how that really was was uh, what broke their uh, their fancy computers. One factor. You'd think that there are so many factors out there, and that one factor really did... Yeah. And also right. the advent of, you know, sh- short term or kind of computerized trading. Yep. Um, and like you said, it wasn't in, in its infancy, but it was in a situation where um, computing power really mattered and it was getting faster and faster. And everyone was trying to get that um, fast, direct kind of feed yep. into those markets and getting it done. It's it's amazing what goes on behind the surface. Like when you when you put in a market or limit order. You don't think much of it. You're right. just making a long-term order for most cases. But this is like right. short-term trading that just blows your mind that's out there. And these things aren't bad. And, you know, no. Inherently, they're not bad. It's it's when you introduce a variable that they haven't necessarily quantified uh, into the mix. Uh, I think that's where what, what's uh, refreshing is not the right way to say it. But, but the, the, the kind of exciting part about the fact that computers can't take over the world is something like this happens and you go, yep, that's all it took to break the computers. I mean, it's, you know, they're getting better with it by way of understanding, but to, to think that you can boil market trading down to a mathematical formula and have it be 100% correct is not right. And it never will be right because of those things that people can't quantify into, um, 
you know, a calculus equation. It was interesting. Yeah. I'm going to stick with the 2008 theme uh, with another of the books that I really like, and that's The Big Short uh, by yeah. Michael Lewis. I mean, it's a classic. There's a movie about it. The movie's yeah. great. I mean, really the well done. Great. Michael Lewis is very fortunate that he's had The Big Short. He's had Moneyball. Liar's and, Poker. Uh, well, The Blind Side have been yeah, three really good right, movies right. that have been done about his books. Right. And then he's got um, Liar's Poker, right? Yep. There's a couple other ones too. Uh, Flash Boys. I've read, yeah. I've read almost every one of his books. and He's got some new ones out now that are a little bit more almost novel-like. I mean, they're interesting. Oh, he's kind of branched in almost a whole different direction. Yeah, I can't stand it. Um, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> He's gotten away from my finance and sports. Right. I mean, now we're talking about like the Fiction. last... And then the last one he's talked about like medical stuff and COVID. And I'm like, I don't want to read about COVID anymore. I just read about <laughs> COVID. Thanks a lot, Michael Lewis. Get back to your sports and stuff. Sports and uh, stocks. Come on. Uh, but it's just a personal side. Uh, he's grown as a person, I'm sure, and this is great for him. Right. Yeah. It's good for him. I'm sure that he's feeling wonderful about himself. But I love the suite of books, and they're all great, actually, economics textbooks in their own right. I think Moneyball in particular, too, um, is a wonderful book uh, from the standpoint of economics. I, I think it should be read in every single college uh campus um you know in their business program and big short also um you know just kind of going inside of hedge funds um and big bets and and people that were convinced that the 2008 crash was going to happen and i'm sure there's a whole bunch of people out there now that are prognosticating a crash and maybe it will come and maybe it won't um, but there were some big bets made on things and they saw things um, and some people actually did get it right um, and so, you know, for all the head, the press on how hedge funds are so terrible and everything, um, I think this was a great example of kind of the, how they work, um, and a little bit more of a balanced, uh, look at what that industry is all like. And obviously dressed up a little for Hollywood too, uh, right. watch the movie, but, um, I do think the book is incredibly accurate and it's a great character study in these guys. You can't see it because you're not in the booth, but Danny's freaking out right now because the window cleaning guy just got here, and so the noise of this is is going. He's going to have to try to figure out he's how concerned. to like. Yeah, he, you can see that there's fear on his face right now when this guy walks in the door and starts clanging around on the windows in here. Dan's going to figure out how to clean that up. Well, he sees us talking in here. I, I would hope that the window cleaning guy has you know notices well, that we're talking on the. Microphone. We're going to find out. We're this gonna is find what's going to be interesting. This is in, in you know in real time. All right, I'm going to come with my second one. So my second one, I'm going, to, I'm going to say more is classic old school Wall Street, which is a random walk down Wall Street. And I find myself, I pick that book up once in a while and I'll just read like a chapter. And it's interesting how you can just kind of, that's one of those books that you can just kind of read a portion of it. You don't have to read, you know, from page one to the end of the book. Um, and it's interesting how timeless it is, which is what I really enjoy about it, is that it doesn't, um, it almost doesn't matter what's happening at the time. Like the, the, the crooks of the book is always kind of in style, if you will. And pretty digest digestible too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'll, that, the other one that I'll put pair with that is millionaire next door. Cause I think millionaire next door is another one of those books where, um, uh, even though it was written in the nineties, I believe, um, it's so applicable to today. It's just so interesting how, you know, these things, these lessons that we learned a long time ago are still the lessons people are trying to learn today. I, I wanted to recommend a book, too, that is kind of on that mm -hmm. level, too, as well. But I, I couldn't recommend it because I can only recommend books that I fully read. And I will say that Nassim Tlaib's uh, The Black Swan is a yes. phenomenal book. I challenge anyone to get 
a hundred percent of the way through it. <laughs> I was a solid two thirds and it's just slogging through it. And I just gave up. I'm it's like, like reading got- a book's worth of the economist. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I get the point. Like, okay, there are long tail events on here that don't happen very often. And there's all kinds of ways we can get there. And I'm like, I cannot read another academic study of it and give your super dry thing. And it's, it's an incredibly influential book. I'm not taking anything away from it. And it is definitely like, you know, changed the way that I think about everything, but it's just, it's too long, man. Can't do it. (laughs) So I can't rec, I recommend that book, but I can't say that that is one of my three. Um, and my third one is actually kind of one that's um, that's had a lot of influence uh, in public policy, actually. Um, so it's Nudge by Richard Thaler. Um, it was first published in uh, 2008, but they've written a whole bunch of versions of it, and they keep updating it. And they updated it for COVID and things like that. I haven't read that current version of it. Um, I think we're going to get it for the office, and maybe I'll, I'll reread that book. But um, basically, it's, it's just stating how uh, people need inertia, they need, mm-hmm. um, you know, they need that sort of comfort level when something gets comfortable for them. They need that little nudge to do something. And then once that kind of snowball goes rolling down the hill, um, everything can get better. So uh, the way that we nudge people, um, you know, there's certain ways that we can do that in finance. So one of those ways is um, auto increasing your contributions to your 401k plan or auto enrollments. Uh, we're, we're two ideas that were actually built out of this nudging sort of theory that uh, Richard Thaler, um, you know, cataloged in the book. And I think it's wonderful um, in in getting people going. Like we always say, and it's very trite to say it, but we're like, you know, the toughest thing is just getting going, you know? And and once you start that savings habit, it just becomes habit and you just keep doing it throughout your whole life. But if you never get started, um, doing that is so much more difficult the longer you go. He was in The Big Short, was he not, in the movie? Uh, who was the economist that was at the poker table with Selena Gomez? I think that was him. Danny, can we get a, a, wow. a check on that and see? This is an on-the-fly fact check. Yeah. I, gosh, it's – I am i don't know. I'm going to leave it there because I, I, I can't be more definitive than that. But I, I was – You do realize if you're really definitive in that, no one would have called you on that. I would have been like, oh, that's great. Yeah, I could have I could have just like, you know, went with the, the assumed I'm right and just rolled forward and – but but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna lay it out there and see if Danny can uh, confirm that or not. So um, while he's doing that, uh, have you read that book, Nudge? You read uh, that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a while, but yeah, I did. It was I I, I was pausing because I think I I might have it at home. But if I do, it's like an old, you know, version from a while ago. But I'm a big fan of of the when the behavioral finance. And that's kind of in that same genre, that idea of, of um, you know, if we... Do you have an answer, Danny? He is in that movie. Oh, oh there we go. look at that. Deep wow. Pull. As himself, too. Yeah, right. He's with Selena Gomez when they're at the blackjack table. And he, he's using blackjack to to explain how um, kind of the, the leverage or multiplier effect of um, kind of mortgages, if you will, was used... Um, for what ended up being the, you know, the basically the the collateralized debt obligations, and then how they became synthetic, and then kind of the layering effect of that, and he kind of used the idea of a blackjack hand to explain that, and it was it was actually pretty, it was a pretty solid analogy of of how you break that down for somebody that you know isn't a Nobel Prize winning economist. So maybe just watch the movie instead of read the book uh, for a big short. And then also, um, it's so what's Selena Gomez playing herself? She was. 
Okay. She was. Yeah, and that's the cool thing about that movie is that they take... If you've never seen it, you, sh- you should see it. Just um, from the cinematic uh, kind of premise in general, it's so cool because you have people playing characters, but, but you know, it's, it's real-life people, right? Um, you know, so you have actors playing, re- playing real-life people, but then you also have actual, like, people playing themselves in the movie, too, and it's how they cut from... Danny, have you seen Big Short? No. Oh, it's oh, really good, dude. Good, really good. Gracious. Yeah, I love it. We need to we need right to rectify that situation. Yeah. Also, also the new James Bond movie, very good. Yeah, yeah, I saw it this weekend. Is it only in theaters or is it streaming too? No, it's streaming now. I mean, you got to pay like the extra, which I figure I save if I don't go to the movie theater anyways. That would be one of those I'd like to go to the movie theater, but I'm like I got kids, so I'm just I'm watching at home. I've it's never great. seen a James Bond movie. <sighs> that kind of surprised me about you. That that nope. seems like it would be a core part of your identity is nope. James Bond. Oh, maybe if he starts watching the yeah. whole thing, he's going to like. Yeah, he, See, should, he know, shouldn't though, start like, this. Go full bore on yeah, it he's going to start. Yeah, it's <laughs> going to get weird. I don't know. Though, maybe I shouldn't prejudge because I've never seen one, but it, it doesn't seem as realistic as I need it to be for me to enjoy it. Like, it seems like he, you know, just, you know, is driving amphibian cars all the time. And I'm like, that's not a thing. Like, it doesn't, like, half the know, stuff I'd he say, has. I'd say like, the, the longer that life goes on, the more plausible it becomes. <laughs> True. Okay. Right. True. You sure. Know? Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a Pierce Brosnan one, the last one that he had, which was pretty much a total joke. <laughs> like, we're like, he took on the entire population of like the Russian mafia and and was able to like <laughs> ski on hills that were just like sure. everything. The world is collapsing, and Pierce Brosnan was fine. Sure. Right. Great James Bond, by the way. Uh, but and wearing a tuxedo. The, the world time. is not enough. Maybe it's it was. Every James Bond movie is titled the same thing, which is like <laughs> a statement that makes no sense. Yeah, well. The world cannot die. I can't die because the world died today. So it's, it's all a version of that. What's the one that's all right now? Today's not a good day to die or some, some crazy thing I, like I, that? I can't even remember what it was. It was because now you have me all jumbled up. But Pierce Brosnan's Live and Let Die was written by the Beatles for James Bond specifically. Did you know that? What? I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, Live and Let Die. Yep. Crazy. Also, um, a Guns N' Roses song, right? Uh, they covered it. They covered, they covered it. it. As you go. Yeah. Okay. Then Adele, too. So you know, don't, uh, don't forget Adele. New uh, album out, by the way. That's true. That is true. I'm a big Adele guy? Not really, but I'm just yeah, plugging okay. Adele. <laughs> that's I'm gonna, good. She needs. I'm going to also clarify something I don't think she else. needs your, no. your no, plug or your cash. Wrong. I don't know. She's doing all right for herself, I'd say. I also don't like that people think that the song Hurt is a Johnny Cash song. That is not a Johnny Cash song. Johnny Cash covered it and factoid uh that was the last song that johnny cash covered before he died uh it's a nine inch nails song oh i got you yeah nice from the early 90s i was almost gonna guess everybody hurts by rem which which is what's so cool about johnny cash covering it's a nine inch nail song so you know super hard rock not super hard rock, but i mean very kind of intense hard rock and then johnny cash put a pretty solid spin on it i'll say that i would say all right, last book. Here we go. I think we're at like 45 minutes on this podcast. We're only at 30. We're fine. We're, we're good? Yeah. Talk fast. All right, my last one is an offshoot one. So I went with, I like to read, Clint knows this about me, I like to read about mountaineering. Um, and more so, they call it alpining. So alpining is like big mountains. It's basically what it is. And so the book Into, Into Thin Air by Giant Krakauer. Very good. And what I learned about these books, or the reason why I like to read these books, is how the decisions that these people have to make in very stressful situations um, can literally lead to them living or dying. And so the ability to make 
solid decisions when there's a lot of noise and a lot of craziness going on and a lot of things kind of flying at them at the same time reminds me a lot of how people have to face some of the financial decisions they make, um, especially when the market's going crazy, um, more sort of the negative than the positive, um, and how people have to keep their wits about them and make solid decisions and you'll be fine. But if you don't, you can really start to kind of snowball these, um, what I call micro bad decisions will, will turn into a, a huge, you know, cumulative bad decision in a very short period of time. And uh, that's what I, I find out of these books is I'm amazed at these, their ability to, um, stay really, really sharp in their decision-making, um, when the peril is right there in front of them. So that's what I learned from those books. I feel the same way every time that I click a button to trade crypto. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, you want to, you know, you want to go fast. Crypto is where you go right there now. There you go. There you That's go. Uh, all right, Danny, anything do we need to clean up or is that? Uh, is um, that I got the, the list of staff from the Dan Patrick show. I don't know if this is going to ring any bells for you, okay. but we'll try. Todd Fritz, Paul Pabst, Patrick Seton O'Connor, and Andrew McLovin Perloff. Oh, is it McLovin? McLovin. It's McLovin. Yeah. McLovin's there the fat guy. Okay, I almost like him too. So, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll tease that. We'll, we'll decide between now and the next podcast if, if uh, Danny will be known as McLovin. And finally, and by the way, uh, that was super bad, right? Also a wonderfully underrated movie. I thought it was the uh, Napoleon Dynamite. No, no, no it's super no, bad. Super okay. bad. Super bad. That's my generation. I've never seen either of them. You've never seen super bad? No. Super bad is a must-see. Napoleon Dynamite's meh. It's oh wow! Yeah. Oft wow. quoted, but yeah. but pretty good. Yeah, it's, right. I, I, it's not I, super uh, bad. I watched Dazed and Confused for the first time in my life like a year ago. Like, what's all the hype about? I don't understand. Like, it's just a lot of talking. Like, I, I don't understand. It's not. It's not that funny, really, when you I, watch it. I feel that about every John Cusack movie that I watch, <laughs> but that's fine. <laughs> hey, don't age well. <laughs> <laughs> watch high fidelity again yeah i did yeah i did like six months yeah, ago get back to me like, on that one yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. i made it like halfway through i'm like why do i think this is so good <laughs> i watched it this summer too and i was yeah nah. i remember it being really good it's a, so high fidelity for me is basically taco bell like i remember it as being really good and then and then like you know i experienced again and it's like oh this is why did i think this was so good can confirm i had a uh crunch rep supreme last week and it was average Oh, okay. All oh. Right. There you go. Danny's starting to... That's a sign of Danny maturing right there is what that is. When you, when you realize that Taco Bell's not as good as you thought it was in high school, that's a pretty good indication that you're getting old. Getting up there. It's like that. Well, thank you for joining us for this uh, lighthearted, I'll call it, but yet informative uh, episode of Give Me Some Truth. We will uh, be back at you soon, and I'm going to let Dan tell you where you can find our other podcast recordings. Everywhere. You get your podcasts. Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Search Give Me Some Truth. We actually uh, have also just released, if you're in the expat community, Give Me Some Truth for expats, our sister podcast or uh, offshoot podcast, if you will. So go check that out as well. We'll have a new episode of that one this week. Until next time, though, it's been Give Me Some Truth. 
Wachter Conan Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Registration with the SEC does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Wachter Conan Financial Advisors. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Thanks for listening, and for further information, please visit walknercondon.com.